Welcome back to True Patriot Ministries. I'm Chris Algramson. Thank you for joining us today. Today is Thursday, and we only have a handful of days left before Easter Sunday. And so things are starting to heat up with this series that we're doing on Easter, or for Easter, uh, on Jesus and his journey from Palm Sunday to the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And so if you have missed uh, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday's episodes, or even last Sunday's episode, Palm Sunday, I recommend just go to our website, truepatriotministries.org. You can go to the podcast page, and you can go back and start with Palm Sunday and catch up to us. And today's message will make a lot more sense. But today's message is about the betrayal. And there were there were more than one betrayals that happened. Uh, you know, of course, you've got Judas Iscariot and his betrayal. You've got Peter and his betrayal. So I don't want to give too much away. We just want to get into it. And it's like I said, it's going to be a lot of scripture because I want this to be scripture based so that you can go to the word of God. And when you read about this one, you're going to be in a better position to come into it and and get more out of it. But also you learn how to uh, how to go through scripture and enjoy it, have fun with it. It is something I know initially when you first get into that when you're first born again and you get into the Word of God, depending on what Bible version you're using, if you're in the King James, which that was my first Bible, uh, there's a lot of these and thous, and, and, you know, perhaps it doesn't make much sense. Once you get into it and you get adjusted to reading in the Word and you start seeing the Word as you read it, it really gets to be a lot of fun, and you you learn a lot more. So, anyway, I'm excited about today's message. There's a lot going on in this. We're getting into the action of things right now. So, let's talk about the plot to kill Jesus. And I like the way Luke tells this in chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. And it reads, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes, sought how they might kill Jesus, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve apostles. So he was one of the he was one of those who were closest to Jesus. Okay, so he's he's got that intimate relationship with Jesus. He was also the money carrier. So uh, verse four. So he went his way and he conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and, and sought opportunity to betray Jesus to the chief priests and the scribes in the absence of the multitude. And so a couple of key things to notice here is that that because of the greed that was on Judas, that gave access to the devil. It gave him an access point, and that's where he came in at. Okay, He came in in that spirit of greed that got on to, to Judas. So at this point, Judas, he's not thinking towards the end, I don't believe. I really don't think he was considering that, that Jesus would be murdered. 
that he would be crucified, that he would witness all of this. And, and so he's just thinking, well, you know, I can conspire against Jesus. Uh, I can make a covenant. And there's a whole lot of, of depth that goes into this uh, that I won't cover on a podcast. But he broke covenant with Jesus in order to make covenant with the chief priests and the scribes. Because when he took the, when he conspired with them and took the money from them, he, he took a covenant with them. And so in order to take that covenant, he had to break the covenant he had with Jesus. So there's a whole lot to that, that over time, uh, if you, if you hook up with great teachers, you're going to learn quite a lot on this and it really gets deep and it gets interesting. Now let's move on to the anointing. Oh, the other thing I wanted you to see is that the reason that he sought to do this in the absence of the multitude is because they all feared the power and the presence of Jesus in the multitude. So there was a lot of fear in this. And when you have fear, the devil is in there playing around. And so, okay, let's go to the anointing at Bethany. This is, I'm going to jump over to Matthew 26, um, verses 6 through 13, and it reads, And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. So when his disciples saw this, they were indignant, and they started saying, Why waste this? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much. It was rather expensive. Sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, notice she did it from the head. This is not... This is not the woman who did it on the feet. This is the woman who poured it over his head. If you go to Old Testament and you study out how they anointed the, the uh, priests and such, they poured the oil from the head and it ran down the body. So this is very significant. And so he says, for in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Isn't that powerful? Jesus made a promise right there on the spot. Look, wherever men talk about me, they're going to talk about this woman and, and her anointing my body with this fragrant oil. And, and it's just, it's beautiful. I mean... So here she is, she's anointing him with this very expensive, and, and there's been a lot of different numbers cast out there, whether it's a year's wages or three years wages, you know, it was really expensive. We're talking, I think I've heard in the number of, in today's money, probably $30,000, you know, so it was really expensive, but she was honoring Jesus. And we don't know the whole story behind it. I mean, we could surely make up a story behind it, but it's just such a beautiful gesture. And he held his promise. She's mentioned everywhere he's mentioned. 
So if you open the Word of God and you read, like I just did, about this situation, you're going to read about her. That's so good. So let's move on here. So let's move on to Jesus celebrates the Passover. Now, we're going to jump over to Mark. Like I've said in, in previous episodes, we're using all four books. Okay, I'm using Matthew as the main line. And then I use Mark, Luke, and John because each one of them has its own little nuance to supplement Matthew so that we can still get the little nuances because I don't want you to miss some of these things. Uh, there's, there's things that Luke catches or Mark catches or John catches, uh, which we will touch on today, that are exciting, they're very neat, that you don't catch in Matthew. So we're going to go to Mark chapter 14. And let's look at verses 12 through 21. Now, on the first day of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. This is really, to me, this is exciting. I really enjoy these things we're going through because you're seeing some uh, prophetic word coming. Right. And it almost immediately uh, coming true here. He's this is a prophetic word. He hasn't sent notice to anybody about where he's going to spend the Passover. Or the where he's going to go on this on this meal, right, for, for this meal. And so he's telling him, look, uh, you know, and remember, he saw what the father saw. He heard the father. He heard what the father said. And that's what he would say. And so, you know, through the Holy Spirit, the Father is telling him, well, there's this guy. Tell him, go find this guy. And so in here, let's move on into this. Uh, so his disciples went out, this verse 16, and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. So the prophetic word, the word he received from God through the Holy Spirit, and he spoke to them, came true. They followed his instructions, and, and the prophetic word played out, right? Now, 17, in the evening, he came with the 12. Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? You got you to gotta imagine, if you stop and you think about this, you're at dinner with the teacher, with the master, with Jesus, and you're sitting there and you're eating, and suddenly he stops and he makes this announcement that somebody at the table is going to betray him to death. And, and your heart just drops. Because even though he's been telling you that his... His uh, end is coming soon. 
everything's been going so great. And there's been so much going on and so much teaching that, that you kind of forget about it. And then here at the dinner table, he reminds you. And so now it's becoming a little more real and your heart drops. And, and I can just imagine 11 of the apostles are sitting there going, what? No. Seriously, somebody at this table is going to betray you? And, and the confusion, the, I mean, when you love somebody and something bad happens, your heart drops. So you got to put yourself in that position and understand what most of the apostles were going through. Now, Judas, because we know it was Judas, I can imagine that he either was ignorant of what Jesus said, as in he his ears were stopped up, or it didn't really impact him the way it did the others. Because he would have stopped. He wouldn't have done what he did. So verse 20, we'll continue on here. He answered, Jesus answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. Now, I'm sure this was something that more than one person was dipping in the dish with him. Otherwise, I think it would have been very plain to them. But I, I do want to say, and I've, I've witnessed this myself, is that the Lord can uh, hide things from you physically. So uh, if you're looking for, we've, we've had a very close friend looking for her Bible and not be able to find it, even though it was literally in front of her, but the Lord blinded her to where it was in order to, that she would go find her husband's Bible because there was something in there for her from him. And so it had a purpose, right? And so the Lord, when there's a purpose there, the Lord can blind you or deafen you to something in order to get you to go where he needs you to go. And I, for me, that's what I got to think is going on here because you, you just, you have all these, you've got, 12 apostles and Jesus at the table. And, you know, there's got, to me, there's got to be a lot of noise, a lot of commotion. They're eating. Uh, it, it's, it's up until this point, you know, almost celebratory. And then, you know, he drops the bomb. <laughs> Someone at this table is going to betray me. And, and uh, I'm sure it got quiet, but by that time, everybody was already, uh, moving around and, and celebrating with him, right? So, and if I've got that wrong, I, I apologize, but that's, I can see it that way in my mind. And, and, uh, because it obviously was not, um, obvious to the apostles who this person was. And, and we'll show that in a minute. So, anyway. He goes on to say, the son of man, in verse 21, indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. This was the celebration, right, with the apostles. And now Jesus is going to institute the Lord's Supper. And we're going to jump over to Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to look at verses 26 through 30. And it reads, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed and broke it 
and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now, this is where we get our communion from, if you're not familiar with that. So let's, let's go on in with this. In verse 27, he says, Then he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So we have the bread, which is symbolic of his body that's about to be broken. And we have the wine, which is symbolic of his blood, which is about to be spilled for us. And that's our communion. And it's a, it's a holy thing. And so he goes on in 29, he says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, this is a unique story I want to cover next. So the disciples arguing about greatness, and this is in Luke. And you don't find this in each of the four Gospels. So this is one of those nuances I was talking about. So in Luke chapter 22, and we're going to look at verses 24 through 30. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, so that you may eat and drink at my table and in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And it's just such a cool little nuance. Okay, so we're caught up in fleshly things here, right? The apostles are arguing about who's the greatest and and whatnot. And and Jesus just, in my viewpoint, he he kind of slaps them in the face and says, guys, wake up. The the greatest is the least and the least is the greatest. It's not so. Now, in an earthly kingdom, it's this way. But in my kingdom, it's this way. And then he tells them that he's going to bestow upon them a kingdom so that they may be able to eat and drink at his table and in his kingdom. And they're going to sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, that to me, you know, if I was sitting there and he, and he said that to me, I would be like, whoa, now that's cool. I, you know, what a, what a position of um, prestige, right? And, and not because you seek it, but because you, you love the master and you're following him. You, you gave up everything that you had to follow him. And because you're, you're loving on him and you're serving him, right? And this was their reward. This is, 
part of their reward right here, he's telling them, you're going to sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. How powerful is that? Now, in Mark, I want to cover uh, Peter. And so let's go to Mark 14, and we're going to look at 27 through 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And so what he's quoting right there is a prophetic word, Old Testament prophetic word, where a prophet said, I will strike the sheep and the sheep will be scattered. Excuse me, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And he goes on in verse 28 and he says, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So we have a time and we have a destination. So Jesus is telling them right here, look, we're going to go through this, but after I've been raised, after my resurrection, here's where I'm going. I'm going to go to Galilee. That's where you'll find me. And in verse 29, Peter says to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, Peter, you will deny me three times. But Peter spoke vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And, of course, they all said likewise. Now, supplies for the road. And I want to go over to Luke. Again, one of the little nuances here. Luke, and we're going to go to chapter 22, verse 35 through 38. And Jesus said to them, When I sent you without money bag, without knapsack, without sandals, did you lack for anything? So they said, Nothing. We lacked for nothing, Lord. Then he said to them, But now, he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So there's quite a little bit going on here that's not utterly obvious. So first, I want you to understand when he says, you know, I sent you out without a money bag, without knapsack, without sandals. Did you lack anything? And they said nothing. If you go back to uh, every instance in the New Testament where even in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, you'll see it, too. I believe uh, Psalm 23, you'll find it. But, you know, you go to John 10, 10 and, and you see. It says that the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, came to give life and give it abundantly. Okay? And abundantly, that means no lack. Overflowing. Right? And so that speaks to this right here. And there are several different areas in the Word of God that speak to this. Because Jesus is... He is the God of abundance. There's, there is no lack in Jesus. 
you can go even back to Psalm 107.20, which is a psalm that I do like. And, and it says, you know, God sent his word, which is Jesus, and healed me and delivered me from my destructions. Well, if you look at, at poverty or if you look at lack, however you want to look at it, that's under lack is under the curse. Jesus destroyed the curse. Okay, and it's up to us to learn how to receive what Jesus did for us. Now, the other thing is that he he said, "Okay, now before this, I I sent you out without things because I'm here. I can provide it. But but now I'm going away and I want you fully prepared because you've got a lot of work ahead of you. And so here's what I want you to pack. I want you to make sure you have these things. And then in verse 37, in the latter part of it, it says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. What he's saying right here is, look, I have been, I will be counted as a sinful man, a man filled with sin, because I'm taking upon me the sin of the world. I'm taking upon me every Every uh, every sin, every transgression, every iniquity will come upon me, and it must be this way. And and it, and I'm going to bring it to an end. And here's what he's saying right there. And so if you if you don't know what you're looking for when you read that, you'll miss it. So first of all, he he kills lack. Okay. He, he destroys, he is the God that destroys lack. And so if we have lack in our life, we know that we can turn to him. He has purchased abundance for us. Not abundance in the form of greed, mind you, but abundance in the form of we are seeking him first. We are seeking God first. We're putting his kingdom first. And when we do that, it changes our whole vertical alignment. And we start coming into line with him and his promises and his blessings can start trickling down, just like the, the anointing oil from the top of our head all the way down over our body. Okay. Now let's move on for time's sake to the prayer in the garden. And let's look at Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to look at verses 36 through 46. And it reads, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And said to the disciples, sit here while I go over, while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Now, I believe there was a purpose in him taking Peter with him. And, and he will speak to it here in just a moment. And in verse 38, it says, Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Notice he pointed out Peter. There were three of them there with him, but Peter was the one he spoke to. What? Could you not watch with me one hour? 
Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he's warning him. There's a purpose behind him uh, selecting Peter and, and speaking directly to him. And so in verse 42, again, a second time, he went away and he prayed, saying, Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. This was voluntary. He volunteered for this position. He's getting close to the time. And he's starting to, I don't know if he's starting to, but he's seeing what's coming. It's getting closer. And so, you know, for me, it would be natural to say, oh my, you know, I know I've got this to do and I'm willing to do it, but if I don't have to do it, I don't want to. I mean, we all bargain with God that way, right? And so, but he's telling him, look, it's your will that has to be done, not mine. Because he knew if he got off in the flesh, it would, it would destroy everything that he came to do. And so temptation was there, guys. If somebody tells you Jesus was God in the earth and he walked around as God, and so of course he resisted temptation, of course he resisted the devil— Guys, he walked the earth in flesh, just like we are. He walked the earth as spirit, soul, and body. Okay? And temptation was a very real thing to him. But his relationship with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, was such that he was able to resist all temptation. Okay? Let that be our example. Not that we are expected, I don't want to say that. Obviously, we're not Jesus. I'm not saying that we should be perfect. We should work to be perfect, and we will be perfected in time. We have eternity. We will be perfected. But here in the earth and now, we live according to sin and death, which is why the Word of God is so important, and being in the Word of God is so important. And so... That temptation, when we, when we run into temptation, we, we need to, instead of focusing on that temptation, we need to turn to the, the Holy Spirit and say, okay, what is the answer to this temptation? And then get quiet and listen to the Holy Spirit because he will help us just as he helped Jesus get beyond that. God told us he's not going to allow us to get into the ring with a temptation that is too great for us, that he won't provide a way out. And so we need to remember that. So he's gone away a second time, and he comes back, and he finds them sleeping again. In verse 43, it says, And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now, one thing that I want to point out in verse 45, who do you say he was being betrayed into the hands of? And it says sinners. So he was not being betrayed into the hands of the just or the upright or the righteous, but into the hands of sinners. Now, his betrayal and his arrest in Gethsemane is, is such a cool 
it, it's just a, a such a cool, and I hate to call it a story, but just a, a cool recollection, a neat recollection, because there are certain things that happened in the garden that are not portrayed in each and every gospel. And so I'm going to pull a little bit from uh, John, a little bit from Matthew, a little bit from Mark on this, so that you get all of it. Okay, so let's start in John. We're going to go to chapter 18, verses 1 through 10. And it reads, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, and he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Okay, so we're not talking like he brought a handful of guys uh, with chains. No, he brought a detachment, and they came with lanterns, torches, and weapons. To me, I think of the movie Frankenstein and the mob that was coming after the monster, right? That's, that's kind of the picture I get. But uh, And if you haven't seen Frankenstein, then you probably are going to miss that picture. So in verse 3, then Judas, having, re- excuse me, verse 4, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them. So he's not he's not running away. He's not disappearing into the crowd this time. Okay, like he had many times before. He's not walking through the midst of the crowd untouched. This time, Jesus, he's going to them. It says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward. And he said to them, whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, the English in this doesn't give this a very good uh, visual. Rick Renner does a great job of explaining what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Really, it was they were knocked down. The power of what he said, because he is Jesus. He is power. And when he said, I am he, the power of what he said hit them and knocked them to the ground. And there's something else very interesting, and I'll catch that in just a, a minute, that happened in the garden because of the power of what Jesus said. Now, in verse 7, it says, then he asked them again. So he's spoken. The power of what he said caused them to, to fall backwards and hit the ground, right? Which means they didn't have a choice. It was, I don't want to say this, it would be like the concussion of an explosion hitting you and taking you off your feet and laying you on your back. Okay, that's that's the kind of power we're talking about here. And so they get up, and I know by now they got to be a little leery because how do you explain that kind of power 
how do you relate to that kind of power when you've heard no explosion, no hand was raised, nothing, just a man spoke, right? And so Jesus asked them again in verse 70, he says, okay, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of course, whom you gave me, excuse me, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. So he's still looking out for the flock. He's trying to protect the apostles and the disciples that are with him. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. But Jesus said to him, and we're going to go to Matthew for this part. So Matthew 26, verses 52 and 54. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that this, that, that it must happen thus? And, and so just to be clear, a legion from what I understand is somewhere around 6,000 angels. So when he says 12 legions of angels, that's like 72,000 angels that he's talking about approximately. And, and you can see, you know, if you go back and you read about uh, when the angels actually fought with man, how many men they killed for one angel. I mean, this is, yeah, this is such an army that it could have destroyed probably every man on the earth at that time, right? And Jesus is saying, don't you think that if I asked the Father for this, he would send it to me? But I can't ask him because i got to fulfill the scripture. It's got to happen this way, guys. And so let's jump over to Mark 14, verses 46, 49. It says, Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And so we see here, and I added this alternate in there, this little nuance in there, because and I think what I missed is it must be in either Luke or John. Jesus heals the ear of Malchus, the ear that Peter sliced off. He lays hands on Malchus restores the ear, so that's that's rectified, okay? Because Peter just assaulted um, a man of the high priest, and so that, that would have been punishable, right? And so Jesus heals the man. He rectifies that situation. And here in Mark, what I wanted you to get, because Mark caught this, but Matthew didn't talk about it, is the fact that they did, they came out, you know, and, and that's what Jesus says. Hey, you came out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me. You know, I was in the temple every day preaching, but you did nothing. 
And so they came against him, not as against a priest or a rabbi, a teacher, a master. They came against him as somebody who was a huge threat, who was extremely dangerous. So here's a nuance I want you to catch in Mark. So in Mark chapter 14, verses 51-52, it reads, Now a certain young man followed Jesus, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. So Rick Renner goes into this really well. I'm just going to touch on this briefly in that this man was dressed in a linen cloth. So most likely this are these are uh, burial clothes. So like they wrap them up in, in linen cloth and they cover them. And so this man would have been uh, laying in his tomb, this, this boy, would have been laying in his tomb covered in the linen cloth. Uh, he had probably just been buried. So he, his death probably wasn't that long ago. And the power of Jesus, when he said to the temple guards, I am he, and that power knocked him to the ground. It is supposed that that self-same power, because this man was not long dead, just like it worked with Lazarus, right? That this self-same power resurrected this young man. And he finds himself coming out of his own, you know, his own uh, tomb or plot or whatever you want to call it. You know, obviously he wasn't buried yet, but he could have been inside a tomb, just not sealed up. Right. And so he comes out and, uh, and all he's got is the linen cloth, the burial cloth on him. And so he's trying to escape. He sees these crowd of people and he's trying to escape. And of course they grab the, the, try to lay hold of him. And I can imagine, you know, they catch a hold of the linen cloth thinking they're going to stop him. And he just lets it go and runs. I mean, there's a lot to be understood there for that person, you know, uh, because he knew himself to be dead. But then you wake up and, and look where you are and what's going on. And I'm out of here, you know. And so, like I said, Rick Renner does a really great job on this. And I, I, I enjoy listening to Rick when he goes through this. If you can find it, you can go to rickrenner.org, um, search it out. He does a great job on the Garden of Gethsemane explaining all of this. And, and let's move on from here. We're going to go to Luke chapter 22, verses 63, 65. And this is Jesus being mocked and beaten. And it reads, Now when the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him, and having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one that struck you? And many other things they blasphemously, that's a word for you, blasphemously spoke against him. And I don't think this does justice to what they actually did to him. But it gives you an idea of what Jesus went through. They were chastising him. Okay, this is the, the chastisement of our peace that he took upon himself. Now, Jesus, he then goes on and he faces the Sanhedrin. And I want to go to Matthew 26. All the notes will be on the website. Go to the blog page, you'll find the notes. Uh, 
Let's look at verses 57 through 68. And it reads, And those who laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and he sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you, Jesus? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us, if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and they said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and they beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ. Who is the one that struck you? Now, we're going to cover Peter real quick, and then we will stop and pick back up tomorrow. So we're going to go to Mark 14, verses 66 through 72. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you, were, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth, right? But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Glory to God. Glory to God. I, I like to point out the confusion that Peter must have gone through. I mean, here he, in the garden, he was trying to protect Jesus, and he cuts off the ear of Malchus, right? And he had told Jesus, I'll die with you. Well, he was expecting to die there with him a different way. But instead, what happened, Jesus... Jesus corrected him on the spot. said, no, this is not the way. And for me, I would imagine the confusion set in right there. And, and Peter was like, what do you mean this is not the way? I told you I would die with you. I'm here to protect you. And, and Jesus is saying, no, Peter, put it away. This isn't the time or the way. 
and then he heals the enemy. And so here he's, he's being put to the test and he fails it. I mean, the emotions must have been just overwhelming. And it says, and when he thought about it, he wept. This whole night has got to be flashing through his mind as he stands there alone, being accused and denying the accusation, yet realizing all that had transpired. Glory to God. That's so good. Now, that's going to be it for today. This is Thursday. Tomorrow's Friday. So we have one more message before Easter Sunday. We won't have a message on Saturday. There won't be a message because I want to save it for Sunday. And so I look forward to seeing you guys tomorrow morning. And, uh, you know, be blessed. This is a great week. This is a special week. We have a lot of things Jesus taught through this whole week. He, he taught through this whole time. Between Palm Sunday and the death, the burial, resurrection, he taught and he cared for his flock. And it, it's such a great time. If, if there was ever any time in, in, in the world for compassion, for love, for the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts, now is that time. I pray you have a blessed day, and we will see you tomorrow.